no one's ever going to agree with everything everyone has to say. And I think also that's something I've sort of had to work on over the years is that you always think you can be everyone's cup of tea, but you're not, you know. Some people like chamomile, some people like English breakfast, some people hate tea, you know. Like you can't be everyone's cup of tea all the time. And welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. Today we're sitting down with the charming and effervescent Edwina Bartholomew, a journalist and television personality who has covered some of the country's biggest stories and interviewed some of the world's brightest minds. We sat down with Edwina at Pier One in Sydney to find out about her relationship with work, her colleagues and herself. Here's Eddie. Edwina Bartholomew, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, ladies. We're so excited to have you. <laughs> and we're in the most like crazy, beautiful setting I know. ever recording this one today. You're selling us Sydney well. I'm kind of distracted because I'm looking at you, but I'm also looking at the most amazing view <laughs> of the Harbour Bridge. I don't know what you girls did to land yourself in this suite. Just like stolen a few I want to know the people that you know because this is extraordinary. It once stayed at this hotel when our bathroom flooded, yeah. but we were basically in the cupboard at the other end. So <laughs> it should be. this is amazing. We should show you photos of where we normally record and you will understand. <laughs> Zara's home office, it has like 10 guitars, a million bikes, bikes around. It's just we're shoved in a corner. Yeah. I almost ran over it because we're sort of in that rocks area of Sydney, almost ran over a bride trying to find a car <laughs> yeah. park and then my car is such a mess. I'm, like, I'm running so late. I might have to valet this car and it's such a pigsty. I'm too embarrassed. So I'm extra late because I refuse to valet and I wanted to find a park. You're just one of the people. Oh. <laughs> a woman of the people. I don't think normal people have a car as gross as mine. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure they do. You and I have that in common, Eddie. My car is disgusting. Uh, the first question we start with every single week is, do you have a recommendation for the shameless listeners? It can be a read, a watch or a listen. Oh, I have so many. Um, well, let's start with books. I'm a, I'm a massive reader, um, voracious reader, and probably have about 13 books on the go, which is not good, is it? Um, it's impressive. But I, a couple I just finished. Um, I finished Becoming by Michelle Obama, which was a phenomenal read. She's such an eloquent woman. I think it's testament also to um, Barack Obama that her book came out first and that he decided to wait to release his. And it's just a really interesting perspective um, on their time in the White House through her eyes and I suppose from a mum and and from a wife and and all the amazing things that she did. Mm. Uh, And also a really interesting perspective on America as well, that not being American um, gives you, you know, a great insight into politics now. Mm. That's the fairy, if you can hear it. (laughs) That's how close we are to the water. I also finished another book recently, Trent Dalton. Boy Swallows Universe, which is close to my new favourite book. I, have I had this. devoured it's on it. my bedside table. I really need to pick it, it up. It is so good. Yeah. It is so, so good. Such a brilliant read. And I've now become this sort of fangirl of all of his work and sort of seek it out in the Australian. I've never met him, but I think if I did, it'd be a bit awkward. <laughs> um, Isn't that the best, though, finding an author and then being able to go and read their other work? Yeah, it's but like this, is his, into... this is his first novel. Yeah. He's, he normally writes for The Weekend Australian. This is his first novel, and it's semi autobiographical and that it contains many details of his own life. So I really hope that even though he's obviously been stewing on that story for a while, he has another story yeah. um, up his up his sleeve somewhere. Um, 
And I heard you speak to Jamila recently. Uh, I have her book, Not Just Lucky, yeah. on my bedside table. Well, I did, and then my friend Zoe borrowed it, and then I had it back, and then my <laughs> sister Meg borrowed it, and then she still has it. So I feel like that's next on the list. It's like I'm the sisterhood read. of the travelling yeah. pants. Yeah, except I never get to read the book. <laughs> <laughs> and um, watching... Um, I'm in the middle of watching Afterlife, Ricky oh. Gervais's show. Oh, huge fan. Oh, see, I'm not a fan of Ricky Gervais. See, I, I, we, his yeah, comedy, you know, like I go back and forth, but the it's show. so funny and so sad and just love it. I oscillated between yeah. hysterically crying on my boyfriend's shoulder and yes. giggling in that show it's every exhausting. single episode. But your boyfriend probably had a similar reaction, yeah, which was, is interesting. We were both like, do not die. Like, no one is allowed <laughs> to die in this room. It's crazy it how good that show is. really, really good. So for those who haven't uh, heard of it, essentially, I'm not ruining any, anything by saying um, his wife dies in the series and she leaves him a series of videos to watch mm. um, to kind of, I guess, guide him through the next stage of his life. And so the show flips between him watching the videos and then uh, him trying to take his own life, which sounds horrific very but morbid. it's actually very very funny in a black um yeah. comedy way um and what else and listening um I'm, i've been listening actually to the daily which is a new york times um you're all over it i love it michelle yeah. never listens to any of the ones i send her oh it's, so it's my good. favorite yeah there's a really good one this week about the murdoch empire yeah and, and i would recommend that one right about how it's sort of like the kids are trying to fight over it right well yeah i just find it so it's basically takes a subject and synthesizes into to a really easy explanation. So if, you, if you've been following a, an issue in the news, like the Mueller investigation, or they had a really interesting one about the Sackler family. Did you listen to that? I that haven't there's this family um, in the US that um, basically owns the company that makes OxyContin. And so they've been oh. sort of, you know, partially responsible for this opioid crisis in the US. You know, those kinds of stories don't necessarily make the headlines here. So I find that really fascinating too. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much everything. There's a lot there. Yeah, but I'm not You're getting good- through. But that's why I have 13 <laughs> Finished books on my bedside because I'm not actually paying attention to all of it. You can tell you're in the media though, because I feel like lots of people in the media are voracious consumers of all kinds of content and constantly are listening to podcasts and reading things and have lots of things going at once. Mm. I think it's very contained to the media industry as well with people doing that. It's true. What was your childhood like? How did you grow up? Um, All over the place. So I was born in South Australia in a little town called Wyala. People might know that because it's in the news recently because they're reopening the steelworks. But a sort of tiny town, coastal town. Uh, I lived there till I was five, and my dad worked at the steelworks. And then um, after that, we moved back to Sydney, and Sydney's where my my mum's family originally from. And then when I was nine, I moved to Japan with my family and lived there till I was about um, fifteen. Came back to boarding school um, sort of midway through that after about four years. And, and then after that, my parents moved to Malaysia and then eventually um, they moved back to Sydney. So, yeah, sort of all over the shop, really. Went to um, Bathurst Uni or Union Bathurst and, um, yeah, just a bit, bit of everything, a bit all over the shop. Did that make you – do you reckon that's why? Because I've heard you say in other interviews that you and your sister are really close. Do you reckon that's a reason why? That if you're constantly moving around and maybe it is difficult to have lifelong friendships with other kids – Moving around so much and having that constant change would make you bond closer with your siblings, I reckon. I think so. Actually, I was talking to my mum about it the other day because I, you know, we're really lucky in that my brother, my sister, and I are, are very close. We're quite close in age, but um, unusually close makes it sound like some kind of cult. But we are, we do get along <laughs> very well. Um, and I was asked, you know, sort of saying that to mum, and, and she recalled a story that when we were really little, so this is you know well before I remembered, she actually we must have been fighting about something, and she she pulled us all in and she said 
you know, the three of you have each other and you will always be each other's backup. So you really have to take care of each other in that way. And I think that's sort of seen us through, you know, we're, I'm 35 now and, and my brother nearly turning 40. So, yeah, I think we've, we sort of maintained that friendship. So when we moved overseas, we were, you know, each other's really good friends. And then when we each individually came back to boarding school at different times, so while mum and dad were still away, we all kind of had, you know, each other here. And that's not to suggest that, you know, it was all, you know, hunky-dory all the time but yeah we, we genuinely do get along really well that's nice it's funny when parents say that though my mum always used to say that about me and my sister when we used to be at each other's throats being like you guys will be best friends one day and we would just like recoil at that thought <laughs> and then we're like in our mid-20s and we get along quite well and it's like I told you <laughs> I was gonna say are you, are you still in yeah. throats <laughs> we hate each other so yeah no she's great um so was it always journalism for you were you always interested in reading and and the media and watching television and the news what was it about journalism that you were drawn to I think I think I was always interested in those subject areas, but I wasn't one of those people that was doing work experience at you know yeah. Channel Se- Channel Seven or Channel Ten when they're twelve years old. You know, I sort of envy those people because they set on this path. Were you girls those? No, people? I was no. not. <laughs> I used to listen to those interviews and be like, "Wow, I'm not wow. cut out for this." And then I'm you're like, "Oh passionate. damn, I'm, I'm a decade behind." <laughs> I literally was 21 and be like, "I'm going to be a physiotherapist." So <laughs> how's that working out for you? Yeah, great, yeah. really love it. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, I, was, I mean, I was good at English at school and drama and history and all those things interested me. Um, but it was actually my friend Laura who uh, pursued the path of journalism and, and said that. CSU and Bathurst was a really good uni and had a pretty pretty busy year 12 and I was like, oh, that sounds all right. Um, so yeah, I, in, in some ways fell into it, but in other ways it was quite, I guess, predetermined in that they were all the things that I guess I was good at at school. Atrocious at maths, uh, really bad at science. Um, so yeah, for anyone listening out there who's really bad at those things, journalism's quite a good part. <laughs> Go for it. Was there a point in uni or when you maybe started interning or work experience that you thought, yeah, this is really it, like this is what I'm going to do? Oh, I think, um, yeah, definitely, definitely at uni. And when uh, the degree that I did was very focused on um experience so I you know started working at Prime Orange Mm. um, when I was at uni and yeah I mean it's amazing and it still is the same thing that interests me now that interested me back then you know it's the ability to to meet someone not know them from a bar of soap or know a little bit about their story and then for them to really let you into their lives and for them to share their story I mean I'm still amazed by that people in all different circumstances they might have you know been involved in something really really tragic and um, unforeseen or they might be going through a, a health battle or they might have a really you know they might have really great news to share and then they're willing to spend the time to talk to you and explain that and for many people it's the first time they've they've sat down and sort of been been quizzed and as you girls know it's sort of easier to ask the questions than answer them oh, often yeah. <laughs> yeah. when the tables are turned. So, yeah, what I loved about the job back then is still what I love about it now. So how did you end up on Sunrise? What was the path there? Oh, it was, it was very, um, very random. So I was uh, at university and um, Sunrise were running a competition to give away a job as a producer. Sounds very morning TV. Yeah, it's very morning TV. It's like you went won a job in a cereal box. Uh, so uh, I remember vividly, I was doing an internship at the Easter Show, and um, which is like you know Melbourne's royal show, and um, I got the call up and. Uh, the producer at the time, who's now a really good friend of mine, had called my uni lecturer and my uni lecturer, Harry, had recommended me for this, you know, 
tryout, I suppose. That was back when Donald Trump was doing The Apprentice. This oh is a my long God. time yeah. ago. It was a simpler time. A I different simpler world. time, different world. I mean, who knew? And um, so, yeah, so we went in for a week of work experience and I had to compete with some other, you know, other other people, not, not journalism graduates as such, but different people from, you know, different walks of life. And, yeah, I, I, I got the job, won the job as a producer for a year and that's how I started. That is so I did weird. go away and come back. It does feel yeah. a bit like Stockholm Syndrome. I'm yeah. still there. But, um, but yeah, it was an ex- extraordinary start to to my career how do you go from being I guess producing is quite a backstage Mm. job how do you go from actually being in front of the camera it was again very random so um one of the producers David who actually still still works there and is a very very good friend um they had this thing called the Roswell on set where viewers would send in questions and I'd research the answers very simple it was literally a whiteboard. And so that was my first taste of being on air is I'd bring in my uh, – so dorky now when I say it out loud – I'd bring in my research and share what I'd found oh, with Koshy and Mel. And, um, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it, but as funny as it sounds and as, you know, dorky as it sounds, um, it was a great introduction to, to live TV because there you are on the set, there's no script, there's no, you know, auto cue. you're just kind of having to memorise in many ways, um, you know, your – answers and then um, spit them out hopefully coherently. Were you intimidated by the concept of television? Not many people I I think could just go into television particularly at at that age because it's sort of it's journalism and it's work but there's there's a weird kind of fame that comes with it that I don't think I really thought about it and I certainly didn't and I guess that maybe helped I didn't go into it seeking fame you know we get so many people who come in for work experience now who you know they come in wanting to be famous and wanting to be on TV that was never never my my goal at all so yeah I didn't think about it that much and also it was a different time you know there was no Instagram there was no Facebook you know there's no sort of Kardashians you know they were I don't know what they were doing then I don't know what they're doing now but you know like it, it was very different and so I don't think I really thought about it that much and then after the initial years at Sunrise then I, I sort of craved doing something a bit more meaty so I I left and did a master's degree and then went sort of more into I guess the news side of things in in radio so um no I I didn't really think about that and I also wasn't desperate to stay in television Mm. I went to radio for a few years and traveled for a bit is that side to the job the celebrity fame aspect daunting to you do you not like it I know that you said in one interview that you feel like you have a thin skin so that when you are covered in some tabloids it can feel really jarring how do you cope with that? Because you go into journalism and you have covered such important, serious stories and spoken to some of the most important people in the world. To then, I don't know, have bikini shots up on the Daily Mail. How does that feel? I've done some pretty inane stories as well over my career. Plenty of dog and cat stories too. So <laughs> I, don't want to wash, I don't want to wash over those. Some of my finest work there. <laughs> oh, look, you know, I don't deal with it very well. I think probably my skin is slightly thicker. Um, but, you know, years ago I used to really buy into it. I used to read all the comments and I used to go on Facebook and really engage and, and care. And I still care a lot, but I don't 
engage as much you know I don't really I deleted Facebook from my phone at the beginning of the year and I I rarely go on there I might go on to post you know a couple of things or check in with friends now and again but not not through the app you know I just don't seek it I think for a while there I really I don't know it's kind of a bit sick isn't it you kind of seek out the negative feedback Mm. as if Zara has a habit of doing that sometimes (laughs) you do it is is. and it's not healthy and I used to think you could I could deal with that Mm. but I don't think you can well, it's more Long like term. I want to arm myself with what people are saying so I can be across how to be better. Yeah. But you kind of do have to sift through what's helpful and what's not, right? Yeah, and, and I used to think that too. And, and I still do in, in some ways think that that feedback can be constructive and, and, you know, but to the detriment potentially, I think, of your own self-worth. And I mm. used to think that if you read the negative and the positive, you just never bought a ticket to your own parade um, which I thought was a good thing because it sort of counted ever having a big head. Um, but then you become, you know, a bit sad. Like you just kind of <laughs> be like a sad sack and, you, do, you know, you don't, you don't back yourself and you don't trust yourself and you don't, um, you don't um, listen to your own advice and your own, I guess, intuition because you're listening to some random on Facebook, you know, who, who has nothing better to do with their day. So, yeah. It's a weird one, particularly for people like you. The general public, I think, seem to forget that the, the people on their television screens are journalism students, journalism graduates, people that went into the industry to tell stories, not to be TV stars. Not to be the story. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think people forget that? I think so. I mean, I think people do forget that you're just a person, but also we can't forget that we chose to put ourselves in that situation. So, you know, we get all the benefits that come with, you know, having our head on the telly. Also, in some ways, have to deal with the negative that comes with that as well. And, you know, I think personally how you deal with that, um, you know, everyone deals with it in a different way. I used to think I could deal with it in that way by reading all the feedback. Um, now I've actually taken up meditation. Ah, yeah. you've come a long very way. Very zen. Yeah, you I'm, do new, look very I'm a new zen. age woman. Um, so, you know, yeah, I just think, and it's an age thing too. You know, when I started on TV, I was 20 and now I'm 35. So 15 years of letting that define you in many ways or you know perhaps accidentally define letting it define you you need to make sure you stand on your own two feet aside from that I'm intrigued by the relationship that you have with the people on set and particularly ones front of camera because there's always so much rumor and innuendo about those relationships but I don't think you could fake for three hours on live tv every (laughs) single day that relationship those relationships must be strangely intimate are yeah, they? Yeah, they are. And I think also, I mean, anyone that works in a shift working type environment where you come into work at 3 or 3.30 in the morning, I mean, there, there are emotional fluctuations that come with that that you probably wouldn't experience in other in other workplaces or, you know, at other times of the day. So, you know, you're, you're dealing with, the, the, you can't hide anything in that space. You're dealing with family dramas or whatever else is going on in, you know, someone else's life. So absolutely, there's there's probably a lot more, personality and 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 things that are personal um, to those relationships but I mean I've known most of the Sunrise guys now literally for 15 years so so you know most of them were on the on the show when I started um, and Sam I've known probably for a decade you know even before she was on Sunrise so yeah you absolutely can't fake that you know, you absolutely can't make up the fact that you're friends with someone. And that's not to say we don't disagree on various things. You know, Nat and I funnily agreed the other day on something and I was like, well, there's a first for everything, isn't there? <laughs> you know, we have, we have very different personalities. But, you know, you spend three and a half hours with someone every day plus, you know, you travel around the world and around the country. So, yeah, you do become sort of a, a default family. 
Do you think it's gendered at all? Sometimes the speculation about women in breakfast television feuding feels to me, this might be me projecting, it's always about the women. I never read about Koshi and anyone else on any other bloke on breakfast television not getting along. Yeah, I think it's, it's because women. you're clicking on it, right? You know, yeah. like you read it because you clicked on it and I think that there's a lot of clickbait. Like, um, you know, I'll, I'll do interviews and, I mean, I feel for Sam, she cops it a lot more mm, than I do. Yeah. Um, talk about having, a you know, a thick skin. Yeah. She really puts up with it. But I'll say, you know, I could give an hour-long interview and say one thing about Sam and then that will make a headline. And I'm like, Jesus, you know, I, I, it gives me an insight into what she has to put up with because – you know, we're not in, like, my husband and I, so boring. You know, we're not in the Daily Mail. Even if we are, like, I wouldn't read it. Like, I don't really care. Um, but I think for her, when she's hammered all the time, like, there's no way, no way to avoid it. Um, so, yeah, I think people just relish that storyline. They don't want to believe that we're actually friends the because it's not very mm. interesting, you mm. know. Like, they'd much prefer that we set up, like, a jelly wrestling ring in the middle of Channel 7 and we all have a go <laughs> or something. I don't know. I mean, it would make <laughs> great TV. I mean, there's a show. <laughs> Um, we've we've touched on personal criticism, but how does it feel when the show is criticised? Do you find that that sometimes is a reflection of your work? Do you take that personally or do you sort of separate your work from the criticism that is projected on the show sometimes? I think it depends whether you're directly involved in the issue yeah. or not. Um, you know, if it's something that I've said and then I'm criticised for, well, you have to you have to own it yeah. really um sometimes things don't come out in the way that you intended and then it's too late you know it's gone yeah. there there it is on national television and you've said it so you do have to definitely think about what you say and um you know there is certainly different groups that are i'd say a bit more sensitive than others like vegans and cyclists and um animal activists generally speaking and so you know you, you just have to be wary what you say not not censor what you say but pick your battles i think a little bit and in terms of you know the whole show well no one's ever going to agree with everything everyone has to say and i think also that's something i've sort of had to work on over the years is that you always think you can be everyone's cup of tea but you're not you know some people like chamomile some people like english breakfast some people hate tea you know like you can't be everyone's cup of tea all the time coming up after the break eddie tells us all about her best and worst celebrity interviews and how she balances a demanding job with her personal life but first a word from today's sponsors It's tricky, isn't it? Because the more popular something is and the more people who watch it, the more people will also dislike it. Like some of the most famous popular movies in the history of the world will yeah. have plenty of haters. And there's always, you know, there's, there's, yeah, there's people out there that hate everything. I and mean, it always is amazing. I was following you know, at a distance the, the, um, the Yumi Steins debate where, yes. you know, she was, she was being bullied online and she was posting all of these people who were bullying her. And, you know, they were mums and they were dads and, and they just have these kind of profile descriptions that say, you know, love, light and laughter. And it's like, well, really, are you practising what you preach there? No. So sometimes I do, you know, if someone says something negative, I do kind of go and look at their profile and I think, what are you doing? Go, you know, go play with your kids. Go to the shopping centre. Go see a movie. Go live your life. Go live your life. Do you ever, would you ever, for example, I think public shaming is a big thing, especially in the AFL because we're from Victoria, we're super into the AFL, that 
footy players have started actually retweeting hate tweets that they get to kind of have their followers come back on the person who's sending them hate. Yeah. What do you, how do you respond to troll messages or really unhelpful criticism? Look, personally, I don't know if I'd take the approach that Yumi did just because I feel like that gives them more, more air, more yeah. ammunition. Um, I only reply to people if I think there's something funny to say. But you do notice it now. And I must I must preface this whole conversation with the fact that I feel like I get so much more out of social media than I do, than there are any negative side effects. You know, I find it such an amazing, Instagram particularly, such an amazing place to connect to different women in particular, to connect directly to, to viewers and, and followers. And I, I find that such a positive environment. So now and again, you'll get a negative comment. Sometimes I'll say something back that's funny, you know, that I think it's funny. Uh, and then generally there is that kind of hive mind where all of your followers will then pile onto that person. Is that healthy too? I, I don't know. Actually, I had something the other day where someone someone wrote, first like or something, and I was like, good for you. <laughs> and then I discovered that per- that that person was 13. And oh. I was like, oh, I've just made a joke out of you. And that was really mean. And I didn't even think about that. And it's just, you don't I mean, it's that so moment. silly. Because I'm like, good for you. Yeah, I just think it's a funny gag. And then, and then she came back. She's like, what do you mean? I was like, oh, my God. I've just traumatized a, child. a 13-year-old child. What are you doing on Instagram? And, and there's so many issues at play here. And I'm, I'm at fault. Watch out, Eddie. That's going to be the Daily Mail headline. Yeah. I traumatized yeah, I, a, 13. I a 13-year-old. So, you know, like, I think you just have to be, you know, be careful and, err on the side of kindness Mm. or don't care. You've been on TV now for 15 years, as you've said. And in that time, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter have really sort of become staples of our everyday conversation. Do you find that you are different in your job because we live in such a reactive culture where anything you say can be twisted? People respond very strongly to... I mean, anything you say and that you are more cognizant of that and maybe sort of catch yourself more often or do you feel like you just can't work that way? I think to be good at live television, you have to have an automatic catch. Yeah. You know, you, you have to be able to filter as you speak. Not, as I said before, to censor it, but just, you know, you have a responsibility to fully flesh out your idea before it comes out of your mouth. So... No, I don't think I censor, but I do think about, you know, make sure that I, I think about things that I, you know, say. I think there's a responsibility. I mean, we all are journalists. Those things that you say still need to be factually correct. And if you have an opinion to share, you need to make sure that that opinion is based on fact or, you know, at least well thought out before you express it. So, no, I don't censor myself, but I definitely think about it. And we all should. Let's talk about your career highlights for a second. Is there a day in your job in the 15 years that you look back on and think that was the best day of my career so far? Or is there an achievement that you've made where you just feel really proud of it? They probably fall into different categories because I've been very lucky to have a career that stretches across really lighthearted stories, really serious stories, really you know great interviews, um, you know some car crash interviews as well. Probably the 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 worst thing about my job is it moves so quickly. I have such a shocking memory. You know, I wish that I'd kept a diary from day one so I remembered all the little things things that happened. But I, I remember at the end of last year, I, I posted a uh, just a you know end of year Instagram and and you know all the things that I'd done and and it was just a you know a crazy list of things that would probably fall on you know anyone's bucket list. I'd gone to the Winter Olympics and then um, we did the Commonwealth Games and then. Um, 
came back, got married, went to the royal wedding in the UK and, and you know, just rolled just on from there. Just a few small milestones, yeah, nothing so, big. so, you know, <laughs> I think it always astounds me the random things that, that pop up and, and random opportunities that, that come up. Um, oh, so many, so many good days, good, you know, good, good for different reasons. You know, some days are really hard and, um, you know, covering various tragedies like the, you know, the Christchurch earthquake or, or floods or, um, you know, murder cases and their, their satisfying days and that you feel like you've done a good job and, um, you know, told good stories um, and then other days, you know, you meet someone amazing like um, Jodie Foster. I did an interview with her a few years ago and that was phenomenal and Tom Jones and, um, you know, Chris Hemsworth and all these kind of, you know, big names. It's kind of cool to meet. Um, so, yeah, I think, um, yeah, it'd be really hard to, to choose a best day. How do you find it interviewing celebrities? Because you don't just interview like Australian celebrities. No. You have interviewed some of the top tier A-list Hollywood celebs as well. Uh, it's good. It's not what I originally set out to do. So I find it, um, you know, entertainment journalism. God, I don't just, you know, as I said before, I don't know anything about the Kardashians. It's not my area of expertise. <laughs> but I do love interviewing people. So that works out well. Uh, it's, a, it's such a strange phenomenon because most of those interviews are in a junket situation. So you mm. get five minutes. To, to get something out of these people who have been sitting in a hotel room for, you know, going on 12 hours, just totally jack of the experience. And normally they're in a hotel like this, which is close to the harbour, beautiful view outside the window, and they're just trapped in there for 24 hours. And so, yeah, it becomes a real skill in what's the first question going to be and how is that going to kind of lead into the interview. Now, I, I, I've learned from these style interviews that the first question is everything. Like it's all about that initial rapport and if you don't nail that, then the, the, the next five minutes will be a total train wreck and just horrific. Have you had a train wreck? Oh, yeah. Could a you lot. explore one of – you don't necessarily have to give us the name if you don't want to, but can we hear what, about one of the train wreck interviews? Sure. Mel Gibson was a train wreck. That was an interesting situation <laughs> in that we were on a red carpet for the actors and someone was supposed to say to him, this is Edwina, she's going to do an interview for the actors' red carpet. <laughs> no one did that. So then when I went in with the handshake, it was, hi. I got to kind of remember. I've tried to blanket from my memory. It was along the lines of, how are you? No. Who are you? Um, oh, uh. it was just a total disaster. And even worse, they put it to bloody air. Like, that wasn't, that was, you know, pre-recorded. So they had the option there of that hitting the cutting room floor. And no, it went on to national television. It was on Facebook Live. It was a total disaster. Oh my God. Oh God, so many. If we're oh, talking so junkets, um, which is, again, something I don't think people realise in, in how high pressure that environment must be to mm. get something out of someone. Apart from having a really banger first question, do you walk in there with a strategy knowing how to disarm people straight away? Just can't be nervous, I think, yeah. is the main thing. Like they, they, will, they will sense that a mile off. And also just, just show some respect for their work. Like go and see the movie if they're promoting a movie or watch the TV show. I mean, simple stuff. But so many people go into those interviews not having done that. And I think the person who's travelled halfway around the world to talk to you for five minutes can just tell in an instant that you haven't, you haven't watched it. With the Tom Jones interview, your listeners probably won't even know who Tom Jones is. But um, <laughs> I'm you know, sure they will. Way back when, there was a crooner <laughs> named Tom Jones. So my husband inherited his record collection from his father and uh, Tom Jones live at Caesar Palace was one of the records so I took a record player to the interview and set up the record and played it to him and you could see on his face the recollections from that night and then we were talking about how he got started and I 
asked him a question and he said, no one's ever asked me that question before. And I was like, yes, <laughs> I'm so excited. You know, because you can imagine how many interviews he's done over the years. I mean, he's like, I got it in, well, I think late 70s. Wow. And um, yeah, so I mean, that's a real coup if you can actually get something interesting and, and genuine out of a celebrity that's been interviewed a hundred million times is good. What about best celebrities? Because I've heard Coldplay was good. Do you have any Coldplay, others? yeah, wonderful. Really generous, really lovely. Um, I love hearing about celebrities that are actually kind yeah, to people. Yeah, really nice. So where I had this, that was probably the first big celebrity interview I did is I flew to Los Angeles for 24 hours and they had this launch of their album in this random mansion in the Hollywood Hills full of taxidermied animals. So we did the interview and there was just a giant taxidermied polar bear in the corner. And I think most of them are vegetarian. Right. Uh, so that was a bit random. <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah, very, very, very weird. So that was a, a great experience. Um, oh, look, generally speaking, I mean, they're all just quite, quite generous and and quite nice actually. Um, Coldplay was a good one. Oh, who else was good? Jodie Foster was amazing. You know, some of them are a bit out of sorts. Another great one was Liam Gallagher. So he was in uh, Sydney promoting some new music and um, he's notoriously hard to interview. So my first question was, well, statement really was, Liam, this is a fucking family show, so keep the fucking swearing to a fucking minimum, will you? And the look on his face, he was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and it was just perfect because he just, just was so shocked and, and uh, disarmed that he then just gave a really fantastic interview. That's so, amazing. Yeah, no, it's good. I think it's good because it forces you to be creative and think of something different and try and think of questions that they haven't been asked all the time and yeah I mean they're they're generally they're there for a job too Mm. I am interested what is your relationship with your work like because breakfast television how early are you waking up you're waking up at three 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 in the morning Mm -hmm. are you a workaholic do you love your work do you kind of resent it sometimes how do you feel about it oh no I I would suggest I'm a workaholic absolutely and have been from the get-go um very ambitious work really hard, work at all hours, um, sort of nonstop. I think only in the last few years have I tried to kind of redefine that a little bit uh, in that, I don't know, maybe my personal life not became more interesting, but it became just as important. And so that was really hard for me because work had always been such a big part of who I was and and how I defined myself and how I spent my time and I was traveling a lot and then suddenly I wasn't. And so I had a lot more time, I guess, for me and for family and for friends. And so it made me reset that balance a little bit, which was, I think, really healthy. Was buying the farm a huge part of that? Yeah, so that came at about the same time. So, yeah, three years ago when I stopped traveling, um, we bought a farm and it's between Lithgow and Mudgee and it's – you know, there is phone service but not much and it's really out of the way and it's in this really beautiful valley and so yeah we spend a lot of time out there now and and I'm never on my phone and yeah it's really quite detached from the world and, and so different from that fast-paced tv environment so for, for me that was definitely a big part of, of resetting that balance and your husband Neil mm-hmm. is he what does he think, think of work the same as you is he a workaholic or I, I think yeah he works really hard but I think he in many ways has had to just become accustomed to the way that mm-hmm. I operate yeah. you know like it's it's all consuming and I think for for many years probably he 
he had to make way more sacrifices than I did. You know, I was, I was off gallivanting around the world and traveling and having fun and enjoying myself. And he was at home, you know, dealing with all the boring stuff that being at home entails. Mm. So, you know, I think he's been very, very understanding about that. And I, I think he is much more, um, measured and calm and patient and all the things that I'm not. So I think, you know, through the years that we've been together, hopefully I'm a bit more like him. Maybe he's a bit more like me. (laughs) Met in the middle somewhere. Because you've been doing what you've been doing for so long and it's kind of like if we're talking about television, you're kind of at the pinnacle. Do you ever wonder what's next? Like can you imagine a career that doesn't involve television? Do you think that far ahead? I think so. I mean, I think if you're working in media now in any facet, you know, radio, TV, podcasting, anything, you know, if you think it's going to be the same way in five years' time, you're delusional, you know, like things are changing so, so quickly. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, And, and, you know, in my career, I've moved from from TV to radio and back again. I could easily do that again or I could, you know, leave media altogether. I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of not wed to any situation. If my career has taught me anything, it's just to be very flexible and, and be open to opportunities. And anytime I think, hmm, you know, nothing around the corner. What's going on? What am I doing next? Where am I going? What's happening with my life? Something happens. So that's been the way it's been for the last 15 years. So hopefully there's no way to, to think or there's no reason to expect that the next 15 Fingers crossed, wouldn't be the same. Seems to me it's all going to be downhill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) As you say, reach the pinnacle, it's downhill from here. For me, there's never been a pinnacle or an ultimate goal, which I think has been good because you can always just about turn or, you know, do do a 180 and move the goalposts and and try something new. And certainly I've done some random things in my life that I would never, ever have imagined, like hosting Dancing with the Stars and actually in this hotel, this very hotel, we recorded an episode of um, Seven Year Switch, which, which is a very brief... <gasps> yeah. I remember. They had like I every, loved Seven Year oh Switch. Oh, my God. They had a reunion special and I was the host. And it, I, I watched that. And someone commented on my Instagram... I don't think this will be on Edwina's resume. (laughs) Well, Mark, you make a good point. So, you know, there are always ups and downs and things that work out and things that don't. If you don't do the media in the future, what would you do? I don't know. I wish I had an answer. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I really have no idea. Maybe something corporate or in the startup world or... It's funny when when you leave journalism or, you know, when you consider leaving journalism... You wonder, oh, what skills do I have? I can string a sentence together. I can. What do you know, I know? What do I know? And, and it's it's a, they're they're funny. They're like they're sort of transferable skills in in communications and uh, you know I guess PR and marketing and and you know being a professional wordsmith. But there's no kind of I'm not a tradie. Yeah. I know I, I'm You're not an electrician. No <laughs> I'm no better at maths and no better at science than I was in year ten. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's a good way to be. I feel like I should put a disclaimer there. I'm not quitting. Yeah. I'm not leaving. <laughs> like, that Hello, everybody at Channel 7. Please still keep paying me. <laughs> we finish every episode the same way, which is asking you who the women that you have in your life that you look up to and who you really kind of, or who kind of ensure your sanity. Oh, so many. And most of them, I know this doesn't help with the um, concept of actually following them on Instagram, That's right. but um, most of them, have nothing to do with the media you know they're still my mates from school I went to boarding school when I was um in year eight and all of my friends from school were still best friends we still go away every year we go away for weekends we go away on big trips we catch up all the time 
And my sister, who doesn't even own a television, again, an amazing woman who has a just fantastic perspective on life that's totally separate to to what I do and makes what I do look, you know, comical <laughs> compared to what she does. And, yeah, my mum and just, yeah, all the, all the women around me who've been around me for decades for you know 25 years really well family means a lot to you because it was your grandmother's dress that you wore to your wedding yeah. wasn't it yeah that it every is. woman in your family has pretty much every it? pretty much everyone my mum didn't wear it but pretty much every every woman has worn the the dress or the or the um the veil so yeah and family is very important and friends are very important and um i think for for many years to be honest I was so busy working, I probably neglected that side of my life. So it's nice to have the time now to to dedicate to good friends and family. Eddie, you've been an absolute delight. Thank you for joining us. Can I stay in this room? You can have it. If you girls just move out, um, I'm I'm coming to stay. Consider it done. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with Edwina Bartholomew. If you loved Eddie, you can find more from her on Instagram at Edwina underscore B. As for us, you'll find us there too, as always, at Shameless Podcast. We will see you guys on Monday. Oh, hi, it's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week now. Every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which, let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.